Well, good morning. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and week, and we are glad to see you. Thankful for all of you being here. Um, don't forget a couple things. As you're going out today, there are some cards. Um, it should be over there by where the coffee is, and it's just little cards you can leave as an invitation to the different events that are happening around Christmas time in our church. Um, I'll just remind you, if you leave it as a part of your tip, just make sure that tip is generous, okay? Um, don't leave something in the First Baptist Church that's cheap, okay? Please, let's make sure you're as generous as you can be, where they'll say, wow, I think I want to go visit that church and, um, and be a part of that. If you would like to help us today, um, we just put the trees up the other day, but there's going to be some decoration at 530. They're going to hang some wreaths and other things all around the church and kind of get it in the Christmas mood. And so if you could help at 530 in this room, we could use about 10 or 12 people to come help decorate. Ladies, today is the last day to sign up for the Christmas dinner to buy tickets. It's Friday. I remind you, we sell tickets only because it covers the cost of the food. And then all the proceeds go to the Lottieman Christmas offering. And so please, um, there'll be vendors there to buy Christmas presents and other things. And percentages of that go to Lottie Moon. So we would love, that's a great event for you ladies. And we, we hope that you can sign up and be a part of that. Um, I think you can see the other announcements. Please take note of those inside the worship guide. Um, I told the first service that in our, in our state... You can't put anything red with white because Auburn fans will get mad. You can't put anything white with blue because the Alabama fans will get mad. So we just chose neon green, okay? And uh, there you go. Not really. We want you to see it and, um, and to stand out. This is just the December events that are happening. It's going to be a little different. This coming week will be the last week, really, of um, regular Sunday school. On the 10th, I'll just remind you of this. It'll be the Christmas breakfast. We did it the first time last year. Um, we will have the traditional worship service. They'll, everybody will come in here instead of Sunday school. We'll eat breakfast in this room. And then right after that, we'll go over to the sanctuary and worship in there that particular day. And so then we'll be back in here for the rest of the time. But it was a great time last year, the Christmas breakfast. It gets all of us together around one of our favorite things, which is eating. So we'll do that together. I'm glad you're here. This is the Advent season. You'll hear more about that in just a moment. But we do have our call to worship, and I'd like for you to read it out loud. Well, before that, um, we have a little call to worship by our children. Next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, I believe it is, our children's choirs, preschool and children's choirs, will be leading us in the sanctuary for their musical, Christmas musical. Um, it's hard to get everybody together this time of the year in both services, so they did the best thing, next best thing, and they just videoed them singing. So let's look at this real quick. You'll enjoy this. I thought you would enjoy that. 
they, along with the children's choir and all the others, will be up through sixth grade, will be leading us next Sunday night in the sanctuary. So please make plans to be a part of that. Let's read together from Revelation. This is our call to worship. And then after that, we'll have our Advent reading. Um, the clean scales are going to read that together for us. So would you read it with me? After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, let's say it together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let me just remind you today that everything we do is before the Lamb. We get to worship before the Lamb. So let's worship Him as He deserves to be worshipped. Amen? Clancy Gales, come and read it for us. This is our Advent reading. <clears throat> the word Advent means coming or arrival. The focus of the Advent season is the preparation to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We can also anticipate the return of Christ, His second coming. Advent is far more than marking a 2,000-year-old event in history. It is celebrating a truth about God, which is the revelation of God in Christ, so that all of creation might be reconciled to Him. Advent also represents the spiritual journey of each individual, and the congregation of this church, as they agree that Christ has come, that He is present in our world today, and He will come again. Lighting a candle is a simple yet profound act. It is a testimony to the power of light over darkness. Even the light of one candle can reveal our faces as we stand near the candle. As we light the candle, we begin our journey to Christmas, a day of joy and celebration. The first candle of the Advent wreath is called the prophecy candle. It opens the period that anticipates Christmas and remember those who first spoke the promise of the coming Christ child. The first purple candle represents the hope we have in the coming Messiah. Today's scriptures from Isaiah and from Micah. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with the righteousness from this time and forevermore. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the class, clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear God, 
On this first Sunday of Advent, we began a spiritual pilgrimage as we joyously anticipate Christmas Day, a reminder of the birth of our Savior. As we come to this place of worship, we know that we are in your presence. Give us your peace that through you all may know the peace that Christ brings. In his name we pray. Amen. I just wanted to say something, and just as a means of thanksgiving, um, yesterday I didn't have really a voice and just some drainage going on, and I just want to say something about these guys that are up here. We flipped a whole set last night. Matt did a PowerPoint. We, Anyway, I know that may not mean a lot, but that's a big deal when you've practiced one thing and you completely do a whole set completely different. So I want to say a thank you to these guys up here for being flexible because we weren't sure I was going to have a voice this morning. Um, and the other praise I just want to give to the Lord because um, it'll be in February, it'll be 18 years that I've been doing this. And I think in those 18 years, maybe five times I've missed because of a sore throat or COVID um, in 2020. But, um, and that, I just want to praise the Lord for that because that is all him because there are days and there are times on Saturday, like last night, I really didn't have a voice and vocal cords were not going. And I just want to praise the Lord for that today because um, when we are weak, he is strong and his grace is sufficient. So I want us to praise him today. We have so much to be grateful for and thankful for today. So let's praise the Lord together.
He is good. One of the things that we are working on as a team is trying to write some original songs through the book of Colossians. And so Jonathan has written this song based on Colossians 1, 19 and 20, and really kind of captures a lot of Colossians 1. And so um, this is our first original song through the book of Colossians. And do you want to share that scripture, Jonathan? Yeah. Uh, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross.
relationship that we have in Christ. Father, thank you. As we come through this time of Thanksgiving, I pray that it would not end a reminder that we are to be a thankful people. You have done so much for us and we praise you. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the freedoms we enjoy. We thank you for this church. God, I thank you for the spirit that we enjoy here in this church. The freedom that we have. I thank you for the talent that we that we enjoy week after week as they lead us in worship and and worship as they lead us in worship. And I just pray that you would bless us as we come to your word. You know the needs that are before us. And I just lift Jeff to you as he continues his treatment. I pray for Frank as he continues those treatments. But we lift up little Samuel to you today. I thank you for the good reports they're receiving. We give you glory for the way you've turned them around. But I pray for Brett and Renee and just ask that you would be with them as they... Lord, we just we all know what it is to, to have a child who's sick, but um, I just lift them up especially. And I pray for Samuel that you would totally heal his body and get him out of the hospital soon. Bless him, Lord. Bless them. Give them strength. And thank you for what you've done so far. We love you. And we ask that you would speak to us today. As your word speaks, would it just speak down deep in our hearts? And Lord, for some, that you would take them and deliver them from the power of darkness, and transfer them into the kingdom of your beloved son. May that happen today, we pray. And for those of us who have been transferred into your kingdom, may we grow in our walk with you. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. We saw the introduction several weeks ago in verses 1 and 2 and then we began Paul's thanksgiving and prayer and we looked at verses 3 through 8 there and then last week verses 9 through 11 and today we pick up in verse 12 I just want to remind you as we do that if you look at verse 10 he says that so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him and he's telling us how to do that Last week, we saw three things that we can do to, to walk fully pleasing to him. And in verse 12, he picks up with the fourth one. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So if you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading and preaching of God's word. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins this is the word of the lord thank you you can be seated so paul opens his letter in verse three with with the words we always thank god and now he's bringing this prayer to a conclusion and he says giving thanks to the father 
And so it's, he's bookending both ends of the prayer with thanksgiving. It's, it's interesting that he, he shows us how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I just read that verse, but he shows us how to walk in a manner fully pleasing to him. And, and what he does is, it's, you can see it in English with the I-N-G words. In the Greek, it's just four participles that he uses, and, and they stand out for us because he uses these four words to show us how to walk fully pleasing to God. Look at it. He says, we're to bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. And now we come to our verse, giving thanks to the Father. Now, I... I was a language arts major. Grammar was not my favorite part of that major, but, but grammar's important. And, and sometimes, especially when you're studying the Bible, there are things that jump out that you have to pay attention to. And, and what's interesting is that when you're reading this, each of the, the first three, they, they each have a prepositional phrase inside of it. Now, uh, that may be so far outside of how long you've been in school, but let me, just, let me just show you what I'm talking about, okay? Look at it. He says, bearing fruit, here it is, in every good work, prepositional phrase, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. And then in our verse, he just says, giving thanks to the Father. And the reason I point that out is I think that those little words with joy in verse 11 should be attached here to verse 12. So you, you can see what Paul is saying it this way. In, in every good work, in the knowledge of God, with all power, giving thanks to the Father with joy. With joy is how we give thanks. We are to give thanks to the Father with joy, and I think that's a great reminder for us on the tail end of Thanksgiving. That Thanksgiving, I, I say it's, I like Thanksgiving as a holiday. Obviously, we get to eat. Kim outdid herself this, this time. We ate on Friday, but, um, but it, we just, it was great, and we, we ate together and fellowship as a family. I love it because it's not commercialized. It's, there, you know, it's, it's, it's just a holiday to get together with family and to be thankful. And we think about what God has done for us. We are always to be giving thanks to the Father with joy. Always to be giving thanks to the Father. Now here's a question. Why? What has the Father done that causes us to give thanks with joy? And just as Paul gave us four reasons, two, four ways to, to be fully pleasing to him... He turns around and gives us four things that causes us to give thanks. Four things. And let me just show them to you. First of all, he's made us fit. He's made us fit. If you look at your first verse, verse 12, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That word qualified is only used one other time by Paul in the New Testament. And it's 2 Corinthians 3, 6, where he says, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. That little phrase, made us sufficient, is the same word for qualified you. You say, well, what are you trying to say? What I'm saying is, when Paul uses that word, he's saying that, that God makes us sufficient, that, that God empowers us. That God even authorizes us, or I think the way I've just put it, God makes us fit. 
God does a work in us through faith that makes us fit to be able to be his people. Our position as Christ is to be with him. God has made us fit to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Our portion in Christ is to be with God's people forever. This past week has been one of those weeks where um, some things have just dawned on me. I think our, our church is, is still um, in a process of grieving some very significant, and there's no insignificant members. I don't mean it that way, but some very significant members in our church. People who have been great leaders in our church, like our pastor Emeritus and, um, and others. And in the last two weeks, it's just dawned on me what we've lost. I had a plumbing problem in, in, at the house, and, and I literally picked up my phone to call Bill Gossett. Because for 20-something years, when I have a plumbing problem, I call Bill Gossett. And he always answered, what do you got wrong now? And I would say, here's what I need. When I picked up the phone, I realized, I can't call Bill Gossett. He's in heaven. And then we were in staff meeting, planning out the candlelight service. And, and I was just about to say to Ronnie, well, Ronnie... Um, I did say, I said, you're going to want to, and it just dawned on me, I was about to say, you're going to get Rita to sing Oh Holy Night. She sang Oh Holy Night every year that I've been here. And it dawned on me, she's not going to sing Oh Holy Night this year because she's in heaven. Now, we are sad because we've lost people we love. And this holiday season brings that out for us. We, we, some of us are, are facing the first Thanksgiving this year without someone you love. You're, you're facing the first Christmas without someone you love. But we have to remember something, that our portion is to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. When he says the saints in light, it just makes sense to me that what he's saying is one day we will enjoy the hope that is laid up for us just as those who have died in Christ are already enjoying. They're already in light. They're already there with Christ. They're, they're enjoying that. And that's our portion, that, that we get to enjoy worship together now. We get to enjoy fellowship and friendship and thanksgiving now. We get to enjoy meals like you shared this past week now. But one day... We'll be forever in heaven with him and all the saints in light. No more sin, no more sickness, no more darkness, no more death. We'll be with him forever. It's, again, back to what we saw at the very beginning. It's the hope laid us up for us in heaven. Think back to the Old Testament. They finally cross into the promised land after all those years of wandering. They cross into the promised land. They finally do what they're called to do. And Joshua begins to give them their portions according to their tribes. Each tribe begins to inherit their portion. We are inheriting something from God. We're, we're made fit by Jesus to share in the inheritance of being sons and daughters. Sons and daughters of God the Father. He has made us fit. He's done that. But secondly, he's rescued us. He's rescued us. Look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has delivered us. He's, he's rescued us. God has rescued us in Christ from the tyranny of the evil one. Look at the, look at the evil we see when we turn on the television. Look at the evil of what's going on in different places in the world. 
Look at what Satan does when he steals and he kills and he destroys. We have been not rescued from the presence of sin, but we've been rescued from the power of sin. We've been delivered from the tyranny of the, old, uh, of the enemy. We, we've been rescued from the domain of darkness. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be delivered from the domain of darkness? What is the domain of darkness? I was reading this week and, and studying this last couple of weeks, and, 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 and someone took it back to, to Acts chapter 26. In Acts 26, Paul is before King Agrippa. It's one of the times he shares his testimonies in the book of Acts. And, and he's before King Agrippa, and he's beginning to share his testimony of how God called him and what God said to him when he called him out of um, his life into Christianity. This is what he said. He said, God said, God told Paul, I'm sending you to open their eyes. Okay? That's the Gentiles. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may, now notice this, turn from darkness to light. So darkness to light. What's darkness to light? Wade tells us from power of Satan to God. So when you look at this, the, the, the power of darkness is the power of Satan. To be delivered from the domain of darkness is to be delivered from the power of Satan. He's delivered us from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's in God. So when Paul says in our text, he's delivered us from a domain of darkness, he's reminding us of God's calling in his life. He's reminding us that what Paul was sent to do was to preach the gospel so that we Gentiles could be delivered from the power of Satan. So to be rescued is to be rescued from the power of Satan. But he does a third thing here. He transfers us. He has transferred us. Not only does the Father rescue us from the domain of darkness... He transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So let's get this. He takes us from the tyrannical rule of the evil one, and he puts us under the loving rule of his son. The ESV says the beloved son. I think it was Piper who said it might be better to say the son of his love. He's put us in the kingdom of the son of his love. Now I want you to notice something. Put that, Joe Bob, if you can, put that text back up where it says the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his son. Look at that. He has delivered us. You notice something about that? It's already been done. He's already delivered us. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Already been done. He's already transferred us at salvation. Now let me give you a couple of verses. Look at it in Colossians chapter 2. Go forward just a page. Colossians 2 verses 11 and 12. See what Paul's saying. We'll see this in a couple of weeks. But he says, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here it is. Having been buried with him in baptism. Notice that? We're buried in him. With him. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. He says there, you've been buried with him. He says you've been raised with him. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. You have died. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ 
in God. He says, you've been buried, you've been raised, you've died, your life is hidden. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that, that we're already blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So write two words down. There are two different types of blessings that we see in Scripture. There's a, there's a positional blessing and there's a practical blessing. There's a positional blessing. You've already been buried. You've already been raised. You've already been seated in the things of God. As a matter of fact, when you look at Romans chapter 8, when he begins to talk about being foreknown and, 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 and predestined and, and sanctified, he, he uses glorified as if you've already been glorified. It's as good as done. Positionally, you're in heaven, seated with him with all the heavenly blessings, and you've been delivered from the power of Satan practically you're living that out you're growing in your faith you're learning how to take dominion over the evil one you're you're learning how to walk in the things of God you're you're learning to to live out what you already are people have used analogies of of someone who who was a prince who's a king he, he doesn't know he's a king he's not acting like he's a king but but he's got all the power of a king and and suddenly he begins to live up to that well that's what we learn to do as a Christian we start living up to what God has done. We have been rescued. We, we don't have to sin. We don't have to fall to the evil one. I didn't say we don't. Because every one of us can give testimony to the fact that we have and we've done it today. But get this. We don't have to. Because as Christians, every time we sin... It's because we step out of the spirit and step back into the flesh. We make a choice not to walk in the things of God. We make a choice not to be what God's called us to be. There's nothing inside of a child of God that forces us to sin. Because we've been delivered from the power of sin. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. We're already in the presence of God in his eyes. We're now in the kingdom of his son. What does that mean? The kingdom of the son he loves. Kingdom is the matter of rule. We are now under the son's rule, not under the Satan's rule. We're under the rule of Jesus. We were under the domain of darkness, but now we're under the kingdom of his son. We were in darkness, but now we're in light. Kingdom will one day be a place. When we think of kingdom, we, we may think of the king of Britain and, 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 the, and the kingdom that they had at one time. But, but it's, it's not a kingdom in terms of physical territory right now. It's all his. We've just not yet seen it carried out. He's already laid claim to it. He's just doing it salvation by salvation by salvation. But one day it will be a place where Jesus will come again, a new heaven and a new earth. But until that time... When we think about kingdom, it means we're under his rule. We answer to Jesus. He's our king. He's our master. He's our Lord. We come under him. We're, we're, we're under his rule. We're under his authority. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, he tells us. Why does Paul say his beloved son? Why does he say it that way? Why didn't he just say the kingdom of his son? There are several people who pointed things out, but I just kept coming back to two verses. Two verses that stand out to me about Jesus, why he's walking on the earth. 
There are two times, there's one other time in another place, but there are two main times that the Father speaks to Jesus and everybody hears it. One's at his baptism. Jesus is baptized and what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son. Get this. With whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved Son. Same word Paul uses. This is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased. At his transfiguration, when Peter starts running his mouth, you remember what God says? This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter, listen to him. Okay? Shut up, Peter. Listen to Jesus. But notice that this is my beloved son. Paul is affirming what the Gospels tell us over and over again. The father loves the son. The father gave the kingdom to the son. The father created this world for the son. The father is now creating a bride for the son. One day we will enjoy that marriage where we will be with him forever, where he will be the groom and we'll be the bride, and it will be for the glory of the son who gave his life for us. The father loves the son. But then I thought of another verse. And this baffles me because in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying the Lord's Prayer, the real Lord's Prayer. He's not giving us a model. He's praying the, the high priestly prayer in the upper room. And in that prayer, he, he's speaking of his desire for, for us, the disciples that were there and the disciples now, and all those in between and all those who come ahead of us, after us. He's asking that, that we will see his glory. And in verse 26, he said this. I made known to them your name, come on his disciples, and I will continue to make it known. I think that's also about us. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The beloved son is saying, I want the love that we share to be the love you have for the children who come after me. So get this. The father loves the son. But the father loves you. The father loves those who are in Christ. And he's put you in his kingdom. He's placed you in the kingdom of his beloved son. That you might be under his rule. And not under the tyranny of the evil one. He loves us. So to be in the kingdom of Jesus... It's to be under his rule and not under the rule of the evil one. It is to be under the rule of the omnipotent one, not under the one who is not omnipotent. It is to be under the one who gave his life for us, not the one who seeks to take ours. It is to be under the one who raises us and loves us with the love of the Father. Listen, that's reason to rejoice with thanksgiving. The Father loves us, and the Father who has made us fit the Father who has delivered us and rescued us and the Father who has transferred us is also the Father who has redeemed us. He's redeemed us in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now we get to the heart of the matter. This is the heart of it. How does the Father make us fit? How does the Father rescue us? How does the Father transform, transfer us? How does the Father, how does he do this? How does he deliver us? How does he set us apart? How does he do it? He redeems us. 
and he forgives us. He redeems us. To, to redeem is to have someone buy us back. It's often used in the slave trade. In, in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, someone who was a slave, someone buys them and sets them free. They redeem them. The Father sets us free from our bondage. It's, it's, it's an emancipation of sorts. We've been set free. This is how the Father does everything that we see on the screen right now. Forgiveness is assumed in our culture, isn't it? But I think we need to remember that to be redeemed and to be forgiven, a price has to be paid. You can't just give forgiveness. A price has to be paid. I remember one time I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and, and he used this illustration. I'm going to adapt it as my own, but just realize it came from him. Okay, so we had all of our family in for Thanksgiving this weekend, and, and Carson was up here singing. So my, my son-in-law, he, he's, he's at the house, and, and let's just say that, that, that we're sitting around, and, and I watch, and, and Carson doesn't mean to, but he, he knocks Kim's lamp over, okay, and he breaks it. Now, he didn't do this. This is a Keller story. I'm adapting, okay? So Carson says, oh, John, I'm so sorry. I'm so, Miss Kim, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. And we say, hey, Carson, it's okay. Kim comes barreling in. What happened? She sees the lamp on the floor. I say, it was an accident. Carson didn't mean to do it. Carson, being Carson, says, look, I'll pay for it. I said, no, it's an accident. We're family. It's okay. Carson gets off by not paying for it, but only because... I've accepted to assume the cost. We bought the lamp, and now I'm saying to Carson, it's okay. I don't ask you to pay it back. I'll pay for it again myself. That's to be redeemed. To be redeemed is he broke my lamp, but I buy it back. What I'm trying to say is this. God forgives, but a price has to be paid. Someone has to pay for our sin. God, God can't just sweep it under the rug. He can't just ignore it. He, he's holy, and, and His holiness demands that, that, that our sin have penalty to it. And so someone must pay. And I want you to hear me this morning. You got two choices. You can pay for your sin. You can say, I committed it, and I'm not going to let anybody else pay for it. I'll pay it. Please hear me. You'll pay it for an eternity. There is a sinner's hell that the Bible speaks of that's real, and it's a penalty of you paying for your own sin. You don't have to pay for your sin. God, who expects the sin to be paid for, says, it's okay. I'll pay for it. And he puts Jesus on the cross so that we can be forgiven. So that our price can be paid. And so I said, you have two choices. You can pay for it on your own, or you can let Jesus pay for it. That's the gospel. That Jesus will pay for our sin on the cross so that we can be saved. Now, how does he redeem us? How does he do that? Go back to Colossians 2. 
verse 13 through 15. We're going to study these, but, but I want you to see it because Paul answers this question for us. And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Let's just insert this question. How? By counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. How? This he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We were dead, but God makes us alive. He forgives us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, the debt that we owe to him. We owe him the debt. He cancels that record. He, he stamps on it paid in full because he takes our record and he nails it to the cross. And Jesus pays for it. Jesus pays for it. And when he does, I want you to look at that. Look at verse 15 there. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. I want you to hear this. When Jesus takes our sin upon him and the Father applies that to our life, he takes the one and only weapon left of the evil one. The only weapon Satan has against us is accusation. He is an accuser of the brothers and sisters. And he will stand before God and accuse us. But picture it like a trial. We've got a defender. We've got a nail-scarred defender who steps in and says, you're right. John did all those things that you said. And the worse. But John accepted my penalty that I paid. He accepted the price that I paid. And now, Father, I, I've said this before, but let me remind you. Now, Father, there's no, dead, there's no double jeopardy. We can't charge John to pay for something that's already been paid for. We can't accuse him of something that's already been forgiven. And I forgave it on the cross. That's where we stand in Christ. That's how he transfers us. That's how he redeems us. That's how he forgives us. The enemy can no longer try to accuse us. Why? Because of what I believe is the greatest chapter in the Bible. You can debate with me. That's okay. But I believe Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. And it opens with these words. There is therefore now no condemnation. Say that with me. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he paid the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven. That's the gospel. Ephesians 1.7 is very similar to Colossians, our text. Uh, the fact is, if if you have a King James Bible, and that's okay. I'm just saying if you have it, you're going to notice that the ESV left something out of the verse in Colossians. Well, it's, it's there in the King James, but the reason is it's not in the original in Colossians, but it is there in, in Ephesians. And, and, and let me just read the verse, Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption. And here's the phrase, through his blood. 
In him we have redemption through his blood. I think through his blood is also in the, in, in, in the King James, but it's not there in the original, even though we can see it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Through his blood we've been forgiven. That's why I love Jonathan's song so much that they, they sang for us today. It's through his blood, it's by his blood, by his blood. Through his blood we're redeemed, we're forgiven. The what of this is that we're made fit. The what of this is that we're rescued, that we're transferred, and that we're redeemed. The how is the beloved son and his cross. What about the who? Paul says he's qualified you. He's delivered us. He's transferred us. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. How do I, how do we get in that you? How do we get into the us? How do we get into the redemption that he's talking about? Well, again, Colossians 2.12. And, and I just get you to look at that again. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him. You see this? Through faith. Through faith. And the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so when we look at this, I want you to see there is a work that only God can do. You can't make yourself fit. You can try to clean yourself up and put your big boy boots on and big girl boots on and say, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. But you can't make yourself fit. You can't qualify yourself. You can't deliver yourself. You can't rescue yourself. Only God can transfer you. We can't transfer ourselves from one kingdom into another. We're born into the kingdom of darkness. We can't get out of that kingdom unless the Father does the work. We cannot redeem ourselves and we cannot forgive ourselves. But there's someone that can. You see, there's a work God must do. But I want you to see that there's also something we must do. We must, by the power of the Holy Spirit, place faith in him. We must trust in what he's done. We must take what Jesus has done and ask him to do it in our life and to forgive us. And we must trust that he's done all that is necessary. Not one person is saved apart from the word of God. Not one person is saved apart from the will of God. Not one person is saved apart from anything that we just saw for God's work. But I also say this, not one person is ever saved apart from placing faith in Jesus. We must all do it. I heard someone say it this week. God has no grandchildren. He just got children. I wish... I wish that my children could go to heaven because of my faith. And I wish that my grandchildren could go to heaven because of my faith. But I'm praying regularly that God will transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because I know without faith they'll die without Christ. And so we must push that and we must lovingly share that and understand that ultimately... We have reason to joyfully give thanks. The Father has done all of this. And all we do is receive it. The price has already been paid. Just receive it.
you haven't placed faith in what Jesus has done, I say to you today, you're still under the rule of the evil one. And his goal is to still kill and destroy. If you have placed faith in Jesus, you're, you're still fighting the evil one, but he's given you the power that you need. Every person we meet this week is either in light or in darkness. And our job is to introduce them to a Savior who can rescue them. So let's imagine. Oh, DeVille and you back there comes up and says, Preacher, I'm tired of seeing you drive that Ford Explorer. I bought you a Dodge Charger. I found out that's my sports vehicle I need. I can get in and out of that. It's, it's, I bought you a Dodge Charger with the Hellcat engine in it. All you got to do is go get it. Paid for. Just go get it. Sign the papers. I said, Doug, you're crazy. Man. You didn't buy me anything. No, I bought it. And I don't believe him. And, and the guy from the Dodge place says, Mr. Tweet, somebody's bought you this car. You just need to come get it. And I go up there to see it. And I see the car. It's everything I want. And he says, all you got to do is sign the I said, no, I got to pay you something. It's paid for. There's nothing else you can do except get in it and drive it like it's supposed to be driven. Fast. <laughs> can you imagine walking away saying, I don't believe it. Nobody can do that for me. I'm going to pay for it myself. And walking away and not taking it, God's offered you a gift. When we think about this Christmas season, God has offered us the ultimate gift. Yes. All we have to do is receive it. And so if you've never received it, I ask you to do that today. And if you have, I ask you to grow in that today and remember that the other people need to receive it as well. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your heads for a second. I don't, I don't believe in putting pressure on you. If you feel in pressure right now, it's the Holy Spirit. And so I, I feel like if I can talk you into doing something, someone can talk you out of it. But if the Spirit's leading in your life right now, and you know that you need to be saved, call upon Him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life. Call upon him and you will be saved. Believe that he's done what he says he'll do. Trust in him. If you've already done that, keep walking in him. Do the things here he's telling you to do so that you can grow in him. What is the spirit leading you to do right now? Would you just ask him? Holy Spirit, what would you have me do right now? Ask that question. Holy Spirit, what would you have me do right now? Be obedient to that. Father, that's all I can ask, my own life and the lives of everyone here, that we would just simply be obedient to what you've called us to do. Help us to be faithful. Thank you for what you've done, for doing what only you can do. Now help us to do what only we can do through your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.
you'd be seated for just a moment. And sometimes you have people who want to join the church, but they're playing a guitar, so it's kind of hard. So Rob wants you and Angela and Sebastian come on up. And um, they've been here for a while. And Rob, in his faithfulness, wouldn't give up his duty to quit playing for a second, to come down here and join. And so um, you've seen Rob. Many of you probably had your, how many of you had your oil changed by Rob? How many of you fell for the trick? I don't know how many times he'd say, all right, put your left blinker on, right blinker, put it in reverse, put it in drive, toot the horn, touch your nose. And I watched him. People, t- anyway, Rob's always enjoyed. He, he um, I think I can say he and Kim began to talk in, at, at the Express Oil, and she invited him to come. And Rob began to come and play a little bit here and there. And then he and Angela started coming and Sebastian. They have other children who are not coming to join right now, but they are coming to join our church. They've been saved. They've been baptized. And so if you just rejoice and Rob and Angela and and Sebastian coming um, to join our church, would you say praise the Lord? And let's welcome them. Thank you. We're glad you're here. Y'all can be seated just for a second, if you don't mind, right afterwards, come by and greet them. I want to encourage you to keep praying for little Samuel. I don't know if I've ever watched someone be a mom when they quite like you have. I have. uh, I've stood with them at a grave of an infant son as they worship the Lord in death and they're worshiping the Lord even in the sickness of a child and I thank you for your faithfulness to God and we're praying for you his numbers have turned up and unless they've changed things are happening because you're praying so keep lifting up Samuel that God would just deliver him his little body and he'd be healed so just keep praying for him but thank you we're praying for you we love you we love all of you I love all of you and I want you to know that I'm at 5.30 today, um, if you can gather, some of you want to help hang wreaths and other things. We, we need that. And then um, I think I did my part. I had the trees put up. And I, I'm, I'm, no. Um, I did take part in it. I just had the idea again uh, to go ahead and do it. But um, I'm good with ideas on our Priscilla. So it's just, but 5.30. Ladies, don't forget as you're going out, the tickets are on sale for the Women's Christmas Dinner. It's a great event. We do have to put chairs up. Um, we'll put them all the way around the Christmas trees. We try to keep little toddlers out of the Christmas trees, okay? And so we'll put them all the way around. So go ahead and do that. And greet each other. Before you start dealing with the chairs, make sure you greet each other. Maybe invite somebody to go eat if they have time today. I know maybe you're already fasting, getting ready for Christmas dinner. I understand. Um, I'll be right over here by this tree. Guests, I'd love to talk to you. Anybody else, I'll be right over here. God bless you. Thank you for being here.